In Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. We get caught in traps. It entangles our feet. And the Bible says, if you want to be free from that, here's what you have to do. You have to trust in the Lord because that's where you find safety. Approval addicts never feel safe. They're always fearful of losing their status or fearful of not fitting in or not getting attention or acceptance or approval from somebody else. And so the only way to be safe is to get all of that from the Lord. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm glad you've joined us today. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, over the last four weeks, we've been in a series called Approval Addict and have had the opportunity to examine ourselves to see if we have people-pleasing tendencies. And guess what? We all do. Well, I hope you're as eager as I am to find out how to kick that approval addiction once and for all. So let's listen now as Pastor Trent brings hope from God's Word for people-pleasers. Today, we'll identify six indicators that we can look for in ourselves to help us know if we're finally free from approval addiction. Here's Pastor Trent. If you would, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians, find chapter 4. I'll meet you there in just a minute. Some of you that uh, pay real close attention to what's going on up here on Sundays, and some of you may have asked, like, you know, how does Pastor Trent pick his messages and, and what themes and what series of messages? If you pay real close attention, sometimes what I'm doing up here is not preaching. What I'm doing is parenting. And there are certain times and certain seasons and certain series where I'm actually just talking to five people. I know 1,400 people show up, but I'm really only concerned with five. Their names are Brooke, Zach, Allie, Leah, and now Scott. And so uh, this past weekend, we dropped them off and we cried like little girls and we formed puddles under our feet and slunk snot everywhere. It was a, it was a really drippy mess, but um, really sad to see them go. But, but if, you're, if you're understanding what's happening, I realized I had just a couple of more shots before we sent them to Cedarville. And um, I knew that what was going to happen when they got at Cedarville was going to look like this. There's the incoming class for what Brooke and Zach are getting themselves involved in. So there's the freshman class at Cedarville. And if you look real close, kind of like a Where's Waldo thing, Brooke and Zach are in there somewhere. Brooke is over here to the three o'clock position. I haven't found Zach yet. If you see him, let me know. Um, but um, anyway, can you imagine the peer pressure of being thrown into the middle of 850 people that you've never ever met before, and can you imagine all of the measuring and the evaluating to see, does this person like me? Does this person accept me? Does this person even notice me? And what if I don't do my hair right? And what if I don't dress a certain way? Will I fit into this group? And what about that person? Well, you see, I was trying to prevent that. I was doing parenting up here by launching us into a series called Approval Addicts because I don't want anybody to be an approval addict, especially my children. And I know I'm a recovering approval addict. And so uh, I, I'm trying to do some parenting up here. So hopefully you appreciate that. But in reality, I'll, we all struggle with this, right? I'll give you another shot at that. Uh, we all struggle with this, right? 
That's right. So um, anyway, I was great. They've been great calling back home, and, and I'm so excited about where they're at. They told me on this past Wednesday night at Cedarville, they ha- they've been having a spiritual emphasis week to kick off the, the, the year, and uh, on Wednesday night, um, the gospel was presented to these 3,600 students at Cedarville, and 109 of them came forward to give their lives to Christ. You say, wait a minute, I thought Cedarville's a Christian university. Yeah, so what you tend to attract is people that grew up in Christian homes that maybe have never personalized faith for themselves, and so they're real smart. Like, we need to get these guys uh, to engage Jesus personally, and so 109 of them crushed peer pressure and crushed approval addiction and came forward, stripped off the mask, and said, I've been a phony and I'm going to commit my life to Christ. And that is the kind of atmosphere we want to create around here. We've looked over the past couple of weeks at uh, the biblical understanding of what it means to be an approval addict. Remember on the first week I showed you in Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. We get caught in traps. It entangles our feet. And the Bible says, if you want to be free from that, here's what you have to do. You have to trust in the Lord because that's where you find safety. Approval addicts never feel safe. They're always fearful of losing their uh, uh, status or fearful of not fitting in or not getting attention or acceptance or approval from somebody else. And so the only way to be safe is to get all of that from the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 15. We see the story of King Saul, who was an approval addict. And he sinned, he disobeyed, he didn't obey God. And the prophet Samuel came to him and says, why did you not obey the Lord? And he gives the answer. He's real honest. Because I feared the people? Well, that's a problem. Because pleasing people is one of the greatest obstacles to people pleasing God. And if we're going to please God, we're going to have to crush people pleasing. So that's where we're going this morning. So you got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read the first five verses. And it deals with this subject of approval addiction. It says in verse 1, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small, itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. It is the Lord who judges me, verse 4, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me, verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. So our goal is to be set free from this approval addiction. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three main points of the message as we unpack that text. But um, throughout it, what we're going to look at, um, the things that you would have to say about yourself in order to claim that you are free from your approval addiction. There's six of those. We're going to kind of look at the outline from three different points. Here's the first one. It's this. I will minimize the value of what people think of me. Do you see the phrase there, 
it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you? You see, that's the thing. Most of us think that what people think is a very big thing. If you're going to be free from your approval addiction, you're going to have to get what people think of you into a very small box. Now, think about the context that uh, this was written in. This is the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul that wrote almost half of the New Testament, do you know who this guy was? This guy was the greatest opponent to Christ and Christ's church. He was such an opponent, he was on a murderous rampage killing Christians. And so for years, he tried to stamp out Christianity, and he tried to discredit those that were preaching the gospel and, and throw them in jail. And so that's his story until he has a dramatic experience with Christ, and he is completely transformed by this encounter with Christ, and he now becomes the greatest evangelist and the greatest proponent for the gospel. He becomes a church planter. He's the greatest theologian the world's ever seen. And half the New Testament was written, humanly speaking, by this man named Paul. So now he has a ministry and he's writing a letter. Remember, the Bible is a series of, of letters, or this particular part is, is a letter that he's penning to a particular church in ancient Corinth, a city where there was a church. Harvest Bible Chapel in Corinth was there. And he was writing this letter and he was saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come hang out with you guys. Now, what if I announced that next Sunday, the guest speaker would be a guy who has a criminal record, who murders Christians, and um, was the greatest opponent to Christ until Christ supposedly changed his life? Would you be a little suspicious of a guy with a, a criminal record that was going to get in the pulpit? Yeah, and uh, unless you were absolutely convinced that there had been this dramatic transformation, well, apparently, there was a religious crowd in the church that didn't give Paul their approval. And so we read over and over in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is always presenting his resume to these guys. Here's my testimony. He gives it three different times. He tells them about how Christ changed his life and how he's, he's uh, now preaching the gospel. And, and, and yet, no matter what he did, no matter what he preached, no matter how many churches he planted, no matter how persuasive his arguments were, apparently there was a group of people that just never approved of Paul. And Paul, in this verse, says hey, let me just go on record here. It's a very small thing that I don't get your approval. The approval that I want comes from God. And so it's a very small thing what you think of me. You see, that's how you recover from an approval addiction. You take what people think of you and you make it a very small thing. So just turn to your neighbor right now and look them in the eye and say, what you think of me is a very small thing. Just do that right now, all right? Now, this is weird. I see some of you like kissing each other and like hanging out and it's like, oh baby, that doesn't mean I don't love you, all right? So, you know, can we still hang out? That's good. Now, if you were like a 13-year-old and you were sitting next to your parents, you were dying for that moment. What you think of me is a very small thing. And Pastor Trent said, I don't care what you think of me. All right, you missed the whole point, all right? So uh, don't be throwing that back on me. Remember, we want the approval of God, and God wants you to please your parents. So anyway, don't, don't take that to an extreme there. But, but the idea here is 
I'm living for the approval of God, not for the approval of any human court. Do you see it there? You get the picture of a courtroom, right? And there's these 12 judges or these 12 uh, jury members there. And there, what, what do jury, jury members do? They hear the testimony, they weigh the evidence, and they give the verdict. Do you ever feel like you go before a human court? Do you ever feel like maybe your family or your in-laws or you know, your workplace or your school or the team you're on or the coach you play for, you ever feel like you go before a human court? Can I give you a little insight into my life? One of the occupational hazards of what I do all week long is I go before a human court of about 13 or 1,400 people every week. I don't know what you do for your job. I don't know what you make. Maybe you're in manufacturing or sales or whatever. Can, you know what my job is? I spend my week getting ready for this moment where I come before all of you and all of you come to inspect the thing I do. And it's an occupational hazard for a preacher to be thinking, I wonder what she thinks of that. I wonder if I just offended her. I wonder if he's going to come back. Where were those people that were here last week? Did I make them mad? And so it's an occupational hazard for people in ministry. You have to conquer the approval addiction and be more concerned with what God thinks than what people think. You've got to make what people think a very small thing. And so let me give you three reasons why you should minimize what people think of you. First of all, people want different things. Different people want different things. Sometimes mom wants this and dad wants that. Sometimes this coworker wants this and this co coworker wants that. Different people want different things. Some people want you to be more serious. Some people want you to be more funny. Some people want you to be more nice. Some people want you to be more bold. Some people want you to be more accepting. Some people want you to be more assertive. Some people want you to be more practical. Some people want you to be more theological. Some people want you to be more casual. Some people want you to be more formal. Some people want you to be louder. Some people want you to be quieter. Some people want you to talk more. Some people want you to talk less. Some people want longer sermons. Can you believe it? <laughs> Some people want shorter sermons. Some people want the auditorium to be bigger. Some people... Some people want the auditorium to be smaller. There are smaller auditoriums that other churches have. Um, some people want you to be more outgoing. Some people want you to be more reserved. Some people want you to be more intelligent, more athletic. They want you to be smarter. They want you to be taller. They want you to be shorter. They want you to be skinnier. They want you to be friendlier. They just want something other than who you are. And if you live your life for the approval of people, you will be a professional juggler juggling flaming bowling balls and you're just never going to keep them all in the air and you're going to be enslaved to the expectations of others and you're never going to feel like that you are who God wants you to be if you are an approval addict. So don't worry about what people think because people want different things and people want wrong things. Some of the voices in our head are asking us to do things that are sinful. They're wrong. One of the verses that got me through high school was Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And so you have to evaluate the source. Who, who's in my ear? Who's putting pressure on me to do these things? Do they want me to do wrong things? I'm not willing to do wrong things to get your approval. 
if it means I have to lose the approval of God. So people want wrong things. And people want impossible things. People want you to do things that you are not capable of doing. People want you to perform in a way that is superhuman. And you cannot do certain things. You have limitations. Your time is limited. Your creativity is limited. Your intelligence is limited. Your ability is limited. So if you have performance-based relationships, you're always going to feel like I don't measure up because people want impossible things. People are never satisfied. Even if you get the approval of the person that you so want it from today, they will have a different set of expectations for you tomorrow because people are never satisfied. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, never satisfied are the eyes of man. They're always going to be something, something else they want from you. So, so people want different things. People want wrong things. People want impossible things. Just give it up. Minimize what people think and maximize what God thinks. So how can you know if you've broken your addiction to approval? Here's six evidences. I'm going to give them to you two at a time through these three points. First is this. I know I've broken my approval addiction, number one, if I can detect and destroy the subtle power of flattery. How do you respond when someone gives you a flattering statement about your performance? Do you bow up and lean in and say, give me more, I like that. No, no, really, but yeah, yeah. What, what, tell me that again. I didn't quite hear you again. Would you, would you tell my friend? And, do you feed off of the flattery of other people? What is flattery? Flattery are complimentary statements that people use to get something out of you. And it's sinful and it spreads a trap. Look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5. It says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And so you don't want to get caught in the trap of feeding off of flattery. If someone begins to give you complimentary statements, you thank them, but then you begin to discern, why did they tell me that? Were they trying to build me up or were they trying to get something from me? Past weekend when we took Brooke and Zach and dropped them off at Cedarville, we also took with us our third child, Allie. Allie's 14 years old. She wanted to see the campus. Great. Had a great time with Allie. And um, we sent Brooke and Zach off to some meeting they were supposed to be involved in. And then Andrea and I and Allie um, went to the chapel where there was a service with Dr. Thomas White, the president of Cedarville. And he was going to address all the, the, the parents and, and the rest of the families there. And we got there a little early and we sat down on the front row because that's where godly Christians sit. Um, LAUGHTER Hi, back there. How you doing? Um, so we, we sat down in the front row, and, um, and we were a little early, and I noticed there was a, another 14-year-old girl that came up behind us, and she engaged my 14-year-old daughter, Allie, in a conversation. And she was just real bubbly and smiling, and she said, Hi! I just wanted to come and say hi to you because I just saw your shorts, and your shorts were the greatest shorts I've ever seen. Those are just the greatest shorts, and the shorts, I just thought those were just great shorts, and just wanted to come and tell you, you had awesome shorts. I'm like, this is weird. But they're 14-year-old girls, so maybe that's normal in 14-year-old girl land. But, and I was thinking, there's nothing special about Allie's shorts, 
And so I just kind of listened a little bit longer. And, and uh, she was there. She said, hey, we're from Colorado, and we're a family. We're dropping off a kid here, too, and it's my brother. And, and we should stay in touch. And do you have an Instagram? And I'm like, yeah, I got an Instagram. Could I have your Instagram? And I was like, okay. So Allie gave her the Instagram thing. And she turned and left. And 60 seconds later, Allie got an Instagram follower that was a guy. I'm like, Okay. So the girl was the scout for the guy that wanted to start some kind of relationship through Instagram with my 14-year-old daughter. I'm like, where is this guy, you know? Now, fortunately, about 10 minutes after that, Dr. White stood up and addressed all the families, and he just said, hey, I want you to know something from the very outset. I know many of you are dropping off your daughters here at college. I want you to know they will be safe. I'm like, oh, that's good. Then he said this, I am a fifth degree black belt. I am in the Karate Hall of Fame. If any guy on this campus starts to mess with one of your daughters, I perceive that God is calling me to prison ministry from the inside. I'm like, bam, that's right. Where's that guy? You know, if, if Dr. White doesn't take him out, I will. So anyway, the, understand, you, people will use flattery to feed your approval addiction and get you to lower the guard so they can get what they want out of you. If you can't detect that and destroy it, you're still an approval addict. Here's the second thing. You'll know you've broken your approval addict addiction when you can appreciate and welcome the refining power of criticism. You see, flattery and criticism are opposite sides of the same coin. People give you feedback, right? So what do you do with the feedback? Well, if the feedback is flattery, you detect and destroy it. If the feedback is criticism, you appreciate and you welcome it. So how did you respond the last time someone gave you some criticism. They loved you enough to tell you the truth. That was not your finest moment. Your tone was not good. You did this right, but you left this undone. Can you appreciate and welcome that? You say, no, I detect and destroy that. See, you got it backwards. You appreciate and you welcome it. Look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So do you have the kind of relationships where people love you enough that if necessary, they have to punch you in the nose to get you to understand you're wrong, and I'm going to help you get right. You say, well, I'm not concerned with, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. It's a very small thing. What? No, you missed it. <laughs> People that love you and are trying to get you to please God are God's tools to help you. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it feels like a wound. It feels like they stabbed me in the heart. That's better than stabbing them stabbing you in the back. They're, they're trying to produce in you godly behavior. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And so you don't bow up and get angry and push back and defend and justify, excuse and blame and rationalize. When people give you criticism, you say, what's God trying to teach me through this? 
But if you're so addicted to approval, you can't handle it when you know somebody has a problem with you. Have you broken your approval addiction? You've got to make what other people think a very small thing to you. So we have a little theme song in our little recovery unit here. It goes like this. It's a small thing after all. It's a small thing after all. Sing it with me. It's a great hymn of the faith. It's a small thing after all. It's a small, small thing. So the next time somebody doesn't notice you, the next time someone is critical of you, the next time somebody flatters you, the next time somebody leaves you off the team or doesn't remember to thank you for your great accomplishments, it's a small thing after all. It's not a great big thing. It's a small thing. Why? Because I don't want to be an approval addict. Here's the second point. I will minimize my focus on what I think of myself. I will minimize my focus on what I think of myself. Look at the end of verse 3. Paul is saying, I do not even judge myself. Now, do you know the difference between examining yourself and judging yourself? So later on in this same book, in chapter 11, before we're to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself. In chapter 13, he says, examine yourself to see whether you're even in the faith. And so there is a a sense in which I, I should examine myself, but some of us cross the line and begin to judge ourselves. And there's two dangers that happen when we begin to judge ourselves. First of all, we could be too quick to condemn ourselves. Look here in uh, verse 5. I mean, verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. You know what he's saying? It's like, as best I know, I have a clear conscience before God and before man. As best I know, I have a short... um, Uh, list of of sins that I have confessed to the Lord. As the Lord shows me those things, I repent, I confess, and I get right with God. And to this point, Paul was saying, you know what? To the best of my knowledge, I'm up to date. But he says, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily sinless and faultless. There could be a huge blind spot in my life, and I'm waiting on the Lord to reveal that to me. And so he says, it doesn't mean I'm acquitted, And then he says, it is the Lord who judges me. He says, I don't even judge myself. I'm not the judge of me. I've given that right to the only just judge, our eternal God. Well, the next time someone offends you, or when you're fearful of what someone thinks of you, just remember, it's a small thing after all, isn't it? Well, as silly as that song may have seemed a few minutes ago, it is a catchy reminder to us that it's not people's opinion that really matters, but God's. We can learn from the Apostle Paul, who had a good handle on this truth when he acknowledged that God was the only just judge. Well, I'm so glad you've been with us today for part one in the message, When People Are Too Big. 
And I hope you'll join us next week for Pastor Trent's conclusion of this message. If you're interested in learning more about the ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, then join us for one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope you'll be with us at the same time next week. And until then, I pray that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.